Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowan, Big Jim and Gertie with me as usual. We'll be rounding up everything from an epic opening weekend of the Rugby World Cup, from the opening ceremony to a huge win for England, and then the thriller to bring the curtain down on Sunday night. Plus, we're going to be chatting to Springboks legend, Victor Matfield. So settle back. Ooh, I mean, yay, yay. Enjoy, and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Why are you booing him, Jim? Because they beat us, that's why. I love Victor Matfield. Oh, okay. Hated him as a player because he was so good, but class to have him on. I reckon he'd love one of your t-shirts, Jim. The one that's been going viral on social media. Can you believe it? The fashion police, the fashion icons that are coming at me talking about what I should be wearing when it's 45 degrees. Are you wearing the same t-shirt every day? Because I'm what seeing the same think? one. No, you're seeing yes. different styles. It's a black t-shirt. That's it. Andrew, <laughs> you know me. I am a man who sweats a lot. So it is selection. I saw Justin Harrison at the side of the pitch and he had this, uh, well... I thought it was a green shirt, but after an hour of being out pitch side, it was black. Serge Betson as well. Who wears a kind of light blue, thin cotton shirt? Well, Serge Betson did, and it was black as well. So I was like, the best thing I did was wear a thick black T-shirt. And I thought, do I tuck in? Do I tuck out? Couldn't decide. Went 50-50 and went down the route of the great Billy Connolly. So is that all you're thinking about? Is my clothes? You're not going to ask me about being pitch side for the opener and... All the energy around that, Andy Rowe, were you coming on to that? No, I'm coming on to that. I didn't think you'd go on about your T-shirt for so long. but Let me just say, I am happy that you've done that. You've brought me down to earth, and that is what we do on the pod. We are the men of the people. We're loose and fast, and I needed that because there's been hysteria. It's been crazy. It's been madness. So thank you for burying me first up. But in all seriousness, like watching you pitch side has been... I mean, you are living the life at the moment. You're chatting to A-listers. You've got the best seat in the house. I mean, it makes us feel proud to to watch it. Thank you. I'm absolutely buzzing. I'm on cloud nine. I'll be honest. It's been a long journey to get to this point of being involved in the what was named the circus, being the circus clown, being involved with Rugby Pass at the very start, us doing the podcast. I'm not going to say that we are pioneers in that space, but we are because we started it and we started the podcast. But it's my passion is now coming to life 
on the biggest stage, which I am absolutely buzzing for. We've been on that journey together, Goody. We've been on that journey. We've done stuff. Andy Rowe, we're doing stuff now. Because it's backed by World Rugby and the access and the rights to the footage, and we have got an amazing, innovative team. We've got the right people. You just see what goes out there, the glory on TikTok and Instagram and social media with a bit of music. And, you know, there's Gerard Butler and there's George Russell and there's Mbappe in the crowd, which is obviously happening. But it's the team that have put everything together. And I'm just very lucky at this point in my life and in my career that I'm a part of that. So I'm absolutely buzzing. I'm on cloud nine. And not that it's about A-list celebrities and th these doing this and them being there and visibility here. This is about the growth of the game. And this is our showcase centrepiece that comes around every four years. James, it looks class, but I do need to ask you a question. You're in Paris, then you're down in Marseille. You're working hard. We did the live show on Wednesday with Hoggy. My question to you is how fucked? How tired are you at the minute? Like the weekend looked amazing, but it's Monday and you're still in France. How fucked? Well, Andrew, with all the glitz and the glamour, I am still Jim Hamilton, who is very unorganised, very reliant on my wife and my agent to help me get from A to B. The realities are I didn't get to the hotel until half three on the morning on Saturday morning after the game because I hadn't booked a car. I hadn't sought travel. I walked out of the stadium and I literally thought, how the fuck am I getting back to the hotel? <laughs> so I started walking and next thing it's half one. I'm like, right, where's Uwe Le Taxi, which obviously means where's the taxi? Couldn't find one anywhere. So the harsh realities of that checked into my hotel in Marseille. Do you think I've booked a room? Nope, I forgot. <laughs> so they're still there. That stuff is still there, the harsh realities. And I'm blaming that on tiredness. So I'm just so excited at the other side of things that actually, as we know in life, the nuts and bolts, the admin that goes in needs to be done. And I need to change that. Who's getting sacked for not doing the admin? Beck. <laughs> Do not say that. She's at home with the four kids. When are you home? Are you home at all? You're there for eight weeks? Like... No, I'm coming home at some point. Yeah, it's coming home. Not like England's coming home, because it ain't coming home. Hang on, forget coming home. You're coming over here in a couple of days. Very true, very true. But you'll be coming home when Scotland get booted out in the group stages, like I said, and we'll get onto that later. Oh, Andrew, I'm glad you brought it down. But yeah, so I could feel like coming home after you lads have been over on the boats. Boats and, boats and lads. Drinks, drinks. Goody, the last time I saw you, you and Hoggy, sitting at the bar having a beer, you were chewing his ear off. What, what happened? Where did that night progress to? It, it progressed with Stuart Hogg, and I was, trying to, I was trying to get to the depths of how he is and what he's up to and what's happened, and we had a good few beers. It was a good laugh on Wednesday night, actually. Great to have Hoggy there for the live show. Sweating out. I mean, it was 30-odd degrees, and the aircon was a hot fan blowing over 350 blokes in their white shirts because they've all come from the city or insurance <laughs> or finance or... We said that in the live show, but it didn't go down very well. The fan was blowing, yeah. and I said it was like a Hong Kong physiotherapy room at half four in the morning, and <laughs> it was deadpan silence. They'd even never been to Hong Kong, or they were in complete denial. It was absolutely baking. Yeah, it was. But anyway, yeah, fast forward a few hours. Jim's done what Jim does, and I gave him the nod. I knew he was doing the smoke bomb, but he had work. He had to be back in France early on the red eye, and me and Hoggy just kicked on. And we had a cracking night because the guys from Lovell were there for our Rugby World Cup launch party. And thanks for everyone for coming along. The guys from Lovell are also going to be giving our listeners 15% off all kit with the code RUGBYPOD15 at lovellrugby.co.uk. And also a massive shout out to producer Rob who was pouring pints for us that night because it was so busy and everyone was so thirsty. 
He was, and he was sweating. I was going to say, when you talk about blokes sweating, Jim, I have never seen a Northern Monkey sweating his life like that. Rob, my God, he was back and forth, back and forth. Jim was tipping his beers as well to make it look like he was drinking. And Rob was in black jeans, black T-shirt. Smiling from ear to ear, though. Yeah, loving it, but sweating out. Let's talk about the rugby now then, because, Gertie, I'm just going to put it straight to you, because you've been really critical of George Ford in the past. Where does this performance rank in the list of his best, and how important is he now to England going forward? Well, straight in with the big question. Let's 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 peel back and talk about the game. And going into that game, Jim Hamilton said he could feel it, he could see it, he'd seen enough for England. <laughs> we still we were still trying to work out what he'd seen. Yeah, cheers for that. He... The clip went out. The clip went out. I was like, well, did I really say that? But I had to own it, and I believed it. We're going to get on to George Ford, and I said it on Twitter. Instagram, he was out of this world. Best ever performance I've seen from him in an England jersey. Up there with actually what he did against the All Blacks in the 2019 World Cup. But the, the whole performance, now, let's be honest, England have been poor and we've said it. And they've been coming out saying, look, we've got a performance in us. We're going the right way. We're going to get better next week. And we did. We saw bite. Everyone was sort of hammering Kevin Sinfield for his defence. And then, obviously, Tom Curry gets sent off in the second, third minute, whenever it was. And we can debate that to the cowsheds and back, but my opinion was it is a red card. But the whole performance from every man, yes, we didn't score a try. Yes, we didn't sparkle an attack, but the spirit and the backs against the wall when Curry has been sent off down to 14 men and how we defended, how physical we were, which we haven't seen from an England team in, I don't know when, since. Like, we haven't seen that performance over 18 minutes, the physicality. I called a few of them out before the game, didn't I? Some of the big names, Ellis Genge, Maratoji, Courtney Laws was outstanding. These guys stood up. Manu Tulangi was physical as you like. Every player, experienced player, that hasn't been performing, and they haven't, stepped up to the plate. And I said it, you know, hopefully a new environment, a World Cup, something about it. All the World Cup experience that they've got from previous years came to the fore and it was a proper gritty English performance, forward dominance. You know, we didn't change how we played at all in terms of, uh, you know, people go, oh yeah, we didn't score a try. Didn't need to score a try because the way the game panned out, George Ford led with a perfect game plan, perfect execution for what was in front of him. And that's a tense job, right? See how the game's going, play to your game plan or adapt it if needed. And everything he did was pinpoint accurate. One of the crazy stats I saw, 11 carries. He was our biggest ball carrier. <laughs> now he's our smallest bloke probably, apart from Alex Mitchell, who I thought did really well at nine. And it was a, it was a performance to get the England fans going, get them happy, get them right behind the team. The energy in the stadium, bowl accounts, I had some mates there once they got in, because it took about an hour and a half to get in. And we'll talk about that a bit later as well, that shambles. They had dry mouths in the second half, the England fans, because the beer ran out before half time, as did the water. But they were there in their droves. The St George's Cross was seen across the stadium and it was brilliant. The World Cup launched for England uh, and there's been a lot of doom and gloom. You can't get away from it because it was that was based on our performances, but it was a whole new level. And yes, some people are going, Argentina was shite. Yes, they were. They'll never play that badly again, Argentina, I don't think. The errors they made, countless errors, the mistakes and the poor sods, right? It starts, we've played against Argentina, Jim. You know how passionate they are. I knew the game was won for England when I watched their anthem because they butchered anthems all at the start of the World Cup and the Argentinians were like looking at each other. There was none of that fire in them, was there? Cause, and that's how they sing their anthem, passionately 
you see the odd tear and they were like, what's going on here? And at that point, I'm like, we're good boys. The Argentinians, the, the anthem was messed up. And then maybe they sat back and thought they're down to 14 men. They can do what they want. But they made loads of errors through England pressure. And it was in that scenario, the perfect performance by George Ford and England without lighting the touch paper of scoring tries from here, there and everywhere. Sometimes you don't need to to win games. And if you win, as an England fan, if we win every game like that and we win a World Cup, then great. I'm not saying we are going to do that. And we're going to need a lot more to beat some of the bigger teams. But, geez, it was a hell of a step up and a hell of a start for us in a high-pressure game, which now means we're in a quarter-final pretty much. It does. And we've got to give a few notes on Argentina, who were woeful. I've not seen Argentina play that bad, I'd say, ever. Like I haven't witnessed that. And you do wonder a couple of things going into that. The hype because they were favourites. The championship playing so well in there at points that it's only England... Uh, you're trying to unravel a performance like that. I mean, Michael Checker's press conference, which was hard to consume after, and this is a reflection of me, not him or the press conference, because it was kind of done in Spanish. There was overlaid with Spanish and English. It was just a bit of a mix. But yeah, you've got to question that performance. Like Julian Montoya, the captain at Leicester with Borthwick, the line-out didn't function. Is that because of Borthwick's influence, understanding the psyche of Julian Montoya? I really don't know. But Argentina, when we talked them up before, I think we might have referenced it last week as well. The physicality, the players that they've got, we just mentioned the captain, Montoya there, Matera in the back row, Kremer, the physicality. Didn't see him though. Exactly, you didn't see him. Like We were talking about Maro. And again, Goody mentioned that as well about Maro last week. Hasn't been at his very best. Needed to see something. Completely outplayed him physically. That was an England performance in terms of what you come to expect of years gone by, physically bullying teams, kicking on point. And we've said, England at World Cups, they've got a way of doing things and coming back and they needed something to spark the energy and spark the adrenaline. I tell you now, Manu Tuolangi is so important to that team. And then there's questions, and you'll probably ask this question soon, Andy Rowe, about when and if Farrell comes back into the mix. Do you look at now moving Manu across and putting Faz at 12. I don't know. I still don't think it works. But what it does show is that when Manu's pissed off and he's been called out, probably for not the first time ever, but the spotlight is on him, probably his last World Cup. Well, it is his last World Cup, let's just say. You need to do something, mate. And my goodness me, he's unstoppable when he's got the bit between his teeth. And I think England, I like England. I like watching England play well. And whenever we've seen that, Manu plays. He's so important to that team. You say you like England, Jim. I, don't, I think I should probably do this to the masses, should I? Jim sent me a voice note on Saturday after the game. This was before Scotland lost to South Africa as well. Oh, God. Told you. Matt, I told you we'd win. I mean, England would win. <laughs> that's not me. We, James. Here it is. We. Uh, that's not me. That's not, that's not my voice. Are you sure? Oh, look, I'm a quarter English. I'm not anti-English. I'm not one of those true Scotsmen who hates the English. I like England. And I think it's important for the World Cup. Actually, I'll be, look, do, you, do you want me to be honest with you? Be honest. Yes, James. I was so embarrassed that I made them comments last week that I felt redemption and relief that England beat Argentina and showed that I actually do know a little bit about rugby. Because all my other predictions haven't come true. <laughs> no, true, actually. Very true. It's interesting, though. You, you talked about the kicking, Jim. Here's a stat for all our listeners. England kicked 96% of their possession. Really? Yeah. Hell of a stat when I was looking back. England had 45 bits of possession of which we kicked 43 of them. Like, what a stat that is when you're looking at things. 
And obviously things led to penalties, but 43 kicks out of 45 possessions. So boring. What is that what you're saying? No, no. Intelligence around game management, game understanding. George Ford absolutely led the charge on that. And then you go back to the own Farrell thing, and I tweeted about it on Saturday. Of course I did. Farrell's an unbelievable player. But whenever he's involved, whenever he plays, there's a shadow over whether it's George Ford at 10, whether it's Marcus Smith, wherever you're playing him. And Faz's best position is 10. If you shift him to 12 and then drop Marchant, who I thought Marchant played really well at 13 because you're gonna, you've got to play Manu, it doesn't suit Farrell. But maybe if we're just going to play this way, it does suit the way the team wants to play under Steve Borthwick. And maybe that is a positive. But it just showed with George Ford, without having that shadow of Farrell over him, can run a team on his own unbelievably well and manage a game with sort of world-class abilities. The drop goals, those two drop goals, in the, I know he got three, but the two long ones in the first half just suckered the life out of Argentina. And by the way, one's from just inside his own half and one's from about a metre inside the Argentinian half. You will never see two better back-to-back drop goals in such a high-pressure environment in your life. How well they were struck, the composure the understanding of actually three points here, three points there. And yeah, people will go, oh, it's really boring, three, six, nine. That's how you win games sometimes in World Cups. And that's what it takes to nut out victories when things are going against you. And he was world-class. Those drop goals, I had a bit of a semi when I saw them, I'll be honest, lads. Goody, the card situation. I know you want to talk about it. England have got an issue with it. Four reds, four yellows in their last six tests. How do they stop the cards coming for a start? Good question. I mean, the obvious one is you start lowering the tackle. You know, obviously we've seen Farrell's one, we've seen Tom Curry's one from the weekend. Freddie Stewart's was a little bit different. And then Billy against Ireland again was for a high shot. Now, the coaches aren't coaching go high, but Tom Curry's one and everyone's like, oh, the game's gone, the game's gone. The issue for Tom Curry is, and I've been saying it on here for years, people talk about line speed and defence. Line speed, when you're flying up, and he, this is from a kick chase, and you can see he's accelerated into the tackle. Now, yes, you know you need to pick and choose when you accelerate, because by the way, when we're talking about this, we're talking about high shots, Josh Adams didn't accelerate into his tackle at the weekend, which was absolutely ridiculous. He was stood still and went through with the power. So you don't actually have to accelerate into tackles. What you do by accelerating into tackles and trying to get the jump on a player with your line speed is you leave yourself at risk of being upright and not having that reaction time to dip low. And I genuinely believe it's a red card. He's got a clear line of sight. We saw what JP Doyle said on ITV, given a referee's description around it. And to me, it's a red card. He's put himself in that position by flying up, accelerating into the tackle, being upright, and then there's a head collision. So everything points to him being at fault. People are like, oh, Juan Cruz Malia, he he ducked down. I said, no, he didn't. He came down from a, a kick. And Elliot Daly, by the way, who's part of the tackle, has given the perfect tackle technique, shown Curry what he should have done. So the issue is, and it's two minutes into a game, Curry's been out for a long time. You know, he is a bundle of energy when he plays, but you have to sometimes temper that and not always try and smash everyone. You have to have a, a tackle selection that means you're not going to be in trouble. You're not going to have a high shot. You know, sometimes you just dip and get under and lose the collision potentially or have a neutral collision because by flying out the line with a clear line of sight and trying to smash someone like that, you do leave yourself the danger of being too high at the last second. He didn't have time to dip and therefore it's his own fault. It is a massive shame. I, you know, Will he get a ban? I think he will. Probably be something like three weeks, 
maybe down to two if he does tackle school. Faz can take him to that as well. But this is not something new that's just been brought in. It's been going on for years around trying to reduce the tackle height. And you can't get away from all the optics of how it looked. He's upright in a tackle with force, accelerating into a tackle with a clear line of sight. And he's caused a head collision that's opened him and Juan Cruz Malia up. Jim, why do you think it is that players are still getting this wrong and haven't changed their technique? I know the answer. And it's not what people want to hear because they think it's easy. And I was doing this in a room full of a few people when we were talking about it. I was getting quite heated. There's clearly a lot of confusion. Different games are showing different things. Different referees are looking at different things. So there's clearly not a joined up process yet. That's frustrating. I get that. I see that. I'm a part of it. Then social media comes out and there's a trial by social media. A lot of people disagree with what Goody's saying. Goody's got his opinion. And we're talking about loads of different frameworks and we're looking at positions and we're thinking about how it could have happened and we're trying to justify from both sides so it's almost like an open forum for discussion which is fine we're allowed to do that absolutely Mm. and on that my opinion is based on the law and based on what we've seen refereed and how things have been written by world rugby effectively yeah, and, and we say that, but then you look on other things and it looks differently. So that's the frustration in that. And look, I don't want to get involved. This has got nothing to do with my World Rugby job. This has got to do with, we're talking about every week. Like every single week and every single game, it's like, look at this, look at that. And that's absolutely fine. I just choose not to go down that route. But I will say, and I was chatting to my mate who works in jiu-jitsu and works in wrestling and looks at body position stuff around functional movement. To get down in that position is a very difficult thing. It's an unnatural position to be in, okay? Some players can do it naturally and exceptionally. You look at chop tacklers, just to name a few. You look at Sia Khaleesi, you look at Jamie Ritchie, Richie McCaw of years gone by. You look at Sam Underhill. Courtney Laws. You look at Courtney Laws as a tall man as well. Some players can do it. It's ingrained in them for years. Genetically, athletically, they are good in that position. But there's a number of players that aren't good in that position. I'm not saying that Tom Curry isn't, bit of an anomaly because he actually is really good in that position but when you're running up okay there's a ball in the air to get down into that position in a split second it isn't easy and I say it's not easy because there needs to be some justification and this isn't me saying it's a red card or a yellow card I'm just talking about the position of it people are like he needs to get lower he needs to get this yeah he does but he hasn't and he's yet another player that hasn't got low and we're talking about a matter of inches if he was a couple of inches lower we wouldn't be talking about it but it's not an easy position to get into every single time you just shoot down and you put your head down and you're in that you're in a vulnerable position when you're like that and you're doing it in a, in a way of you're having to think oh I need to get lower and back out of this because you protected yourself you are more protected as a player when you're stood You've got your head up, you've got your chest up, and you can only listen to me, so I, I, it's really difficult for me to show you. But you've got to keep asking, everyone's like, the players need to change what they do. They need to change. Okay, well, that's one side of the argument. The other side of the argument is there's an issue why they're not changing, so therefore you need to deal with that separately. Yes, we can keep talking about it, and in England it's glaringly obvious that there's an issue with their tackle height because of the stats that you've just reeled out and the fact that Owen has been banned Billy's been banned, Manu's had history before. So I understand what you're saying and other teams don't have that. But I'm just saying that the mechanism sometimes isn't easy as people think, like the Jesse Creel one. like He hasn't meant to go high. Tom Curry's not meant to go high. It's just happened in an instant. And that's where I'm looking at it from the player's point of view. 
Yeah, I understand that, Jim. But there's a responsibility on the players to not, like Jesse Creel's one, if we're going to go there straight away, which I'm happy to, that's a complete red card, 100%. He has flown out the line at speed to try and stop an attacking play and get someone man and ball, and he's got it wrong and mm. gone. He's upright into a tackle. If he steadies his feet three or four metres before the impact, he can then sink lower. But this is my point of line speed and everyone just trying to get off the line as fast as you can leads to a lot of these issues. And yes, you've got to have line speed, but there's got to be an understanding from the players. The risk-reward... Yes, the reward is you smash someone and you win the collision and you drive them back and everyone cheers. The risk of it is you get it wrong by two or three inches, you're off the field. So is the risk worth the reward by flying up all the way to the tackle or is it fly up, steady your feet and then prep for a tackle where Tom Curry would have won that collision. Had he have steadied his feet and not accelerated into the collision, he'd have still won the collision because he's a hell of a tackler. And we've seen him chop low for years. Courtney Laws does it all the time. So it is possible, but I do get your frustration of how hard it is to change. But unfortunately, if if World Rugby or whoever give up now and say, okay, there's going to be these incidents, so we'll just let it go, then nothing's ever going to change. And I get stick off people when there's a red card for an opposition player and they go, oh, if that was an England player, you'd say it's play on. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to be consistent in what the laws are trying to be applied. And maybe... If there is an issue, those laws need changing. But Do you not think there's an argument as well? And this isn't me going against you, Goody, by the way. This is me calling out ITV. So I watched the Japan-Chile game. I thought Chile were brilliant, by the way. How about their fullback? Yeah, they were wicked. Physical. Uh, I know they got they got hammered in the end. But the halftime analysis of the Japan and Chile game was about a high tackle or a potential high yellow tackle. And I'm thinking... Well, I've not picked that up. Not that that means it's right or wrong. But you're highlighting something that I don't think needs to be highlighted because it hasn't been given. So Mm. therefore, your casual fan hasn't seen it. Why don't we show clips of like unbelievable play by Chile about some of the nuances of the game, like educate people about the short lines that they're running, the physicality in their carries, the kicking game that they brought, the fullback, which Andy Rowe referenced. It's almost like we're feeding the beast in the media. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and and that's one thing for me. And this is oh my gosh, you know I've gone all nicey nice and like, but I genuinely feel like there's an exhaustion around the fact that we're talking about now, and we have to talk about it until things change and we and we get some clarity in what we're doing. But I just saw that Japan Chile game, and because I'm working for ITV, I'm like, what? Why are we? There's no need to highlight that. Like no one's seen that, and now it's just a debate about nothing. Because we can get, then we go to our phones as, as opposed to actually enjoying what the the game was about and the physicality and the speed in which Chile played. I just it was, it's just a bugbear at the minute. Look, I might change, but that's where I'm at the minute. A question on that for you then, Jim, and I completely understand your point and get it. There is a short amount of time to do analysis at halftime because we've got to get all the woke adverts in um, <laughs> for for ITV. But what I do mean is, from a Scotland South Africa perspective. At the weekend, Jesse Creel's one in the first half. You're a Scotland fan. You've heart, and you said it yourself. I'm watching it, and I've watched a lot of the games this weekend. I'm like, where's the replays? Hmm. Like, it shows how well other companies run rugby games when they're put on TV because you've got producers that work in it week in, week out. And I don't know, I'm just spitballing here. I don't know who the producers are, whatever, whatever. Who's in charge of the feed? Is it the French directors? Whatever it is. Now, it's the biggest talking point coming out of that game. Greg has talked about it after the game. 
you know, would it have changed how things panned out? I'm not sure. But at half time, if you're a Scotland fan, you want to see that analysis. You want to see the replay and go, what should have happened here from experts that have been there and done it? I think that's what I'm, if I'm a viewer, that's what I want to see. But I also want to see someone monstering someone. I want to see an amazing try. I want to see Marnie the box, no look crossfield kick. So it's, trying to squeeze everything into that short amount of time because we have to throw to the adverts that no one watches but needed to pay the bills. Guys, we could talk about, I mean, we've still got to talk about the Fiji incident, but let's let's just get back to the real rugby, the non-card stuff, because Jim, you were you were at the Scotland game. I know you didn't see the Jesse Creel stuff, but you must have been soaking in the atmosphere. I was commentating Andy Rowe, so I was more than sucking in the atmosphere. I was delivering the atmosphere to the airwaves, so thank you very much. You sucked the atmosphere out of the game? <laughs> what? Oh. No, uh, true story though, Jim. I thought, and I'll say it to you, I do say it to you regularly, I thought you are outstanding on comms. And in the office this morning, I've had three of these lads come up to me in their white shirts, pristine, ironed and everything in the office. They're like... I heard Jim on comms yesterday. How good's he? Really? I said, mate, he's a shit house. He's a shit house. No, I, they did. Genuinely, they did. No, thank you. For I don't that. know who the other guy was. Nick Mullins was class as well, but who's the other guy? But you, I thought you were great. Stuttered a little bit at the start. I haven't done it for a while, and it's one of them, Goody. You know, you need to do it every week, right? To be really, really on your game, like delivering context, and I just mentioned tone and all these different things and detail and understanding of the game, and putting that across the airways is not easy, right? but very seldom get many opportunities now. And that was a massive opportunity for me on ITV. Second biggest game, arguably the biggest game, if you're Scotland or South Africa. I'm going to say it was the biggest game of the weekend. World champions yeah. versus Scotland. Definitely the biggest game. Second biggest game. It was like knockout rugby, almost. Are you going to hope it was the biggest? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. But I'm happy to say the second biggest game. So for me, it was a humbling experience. Absolutely loved it. And you think about everything that I've said in the lead-up, Again, I've got South African fans going mad at me, like in a nice way, but quite, they're quite aggressive, aren't they? Like, as in, oh, fuck it, you said so Scotland were going to win. Yes, I said that with my heart, okay? When you outline it, and we mentioned it last week, Scotland shouldn't beat South Africa. The world champions, everything's with it. I'm not going to talk about it again. But we gave an amazing account of ourselves in that first half. Like, we really did. And I thought we were going to be better second half. To go 6-3 in at halftime was a bit of a result for us. Physically, we stood up to them at the scrum. We got a penalty just before the half as well, which was brilliant. Worst thing that happened to you though, that wasn't it? Bet, yeah, it was the worst thing because it pissed them <laughs> off. They went in and they were absolutely <laughs> raging. Apparently, they trashed the dressing room. They didn't. I'm just saying that because they came out angry. But I didn't think South Africa would play the way that they played in the first half. They found an Achilles heel in the Scotland team that I didn't think existed. And that was the high balls. That was the crossfield kicks uh, to Darcy, to Blair Kinghorn, to Duans each side. Manny Leboc, I thought, was sensational throughout the whole game. And then when they in the second half, they went back to a bit of type. So they went physical, round the corner. They obviously got the penalty from the scrum straight away in the second half, kicked to the corner. I'm kind of rushing through the archives and setting the scene of the game. Physically got dominated in the second half. That was obvious to see. The scoreline obviously reflected that as well. The line-out didn't function. So we didn't give ourselves... So we concentrated so much on the scrum, which up until the second half was very good, almost dominant at times, but we couldn't win a bloody line-out. Eh? Yeah, it was. Maybe dominant what? scrum? Andrew. There was a slip. They haven't lost a scrum in a year. In a year. There was a slip. You said you dominated it. 
We got a penalty, mate. We hosed them off the ball. You don't see them. They've stood up. Mal Herber was like, literally, he was in my commentary box. I thought Scotland were going to win it at that stage where they, where they hosed them in two scrums. I was like, what's going on here? Yeah, hose them. I like that, Andy Rowe. You've been blinded by my love. Hose them. Look at him. Look at Goody now because they beat More Argentina. Deluded. How are you, boys? England, <laughs> top of the world. Oh, look, we didn't take our chance. Darcy Graham had the two-on-one down the wing. A massive moment. Our line-out didn't function either. And also, and I saw Finn before the game and actually looked at some footage and stuff that was doing the rounds on South Africa, how they played against Scotland before with Finn, always putting them on the floor. Their line speed on that outside channel, Peter Steph the toy, I kept talking about the edge on comms and people didn't know what I was talking about, is Goody, you know as well, and I, I think Finn said it to me, he's going to have to pull a rabbit out of the app yeah. in order to get the ball. And it nearly happened. There was one with Hugh Jones that we saw. But yeah, it, we just couldn't deal with the physicality, with the line speed in that second half especially. What do you mean the South Africans are offside all the time? Oh, thank you, Goody. <laughs> Here he is. Get on board, Goody. Yeah, we got robbed. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Peter Steftatoy can never be that quick. He's so slow normally, which he isn't. Genuinely, I'm looking at Finn, and he's got all the magic you need, Finn, right, as a player. And when you've got that outside channel flying up, and they're not just like little wingers flying up into the passing lane, they're big boys. Could they have pulled out a kicking game to try and take some speed off it? Should they have adapted and tried to go through them a little bit, stand wide and run sort of angles on unders to try and cut in between defenders it's really hard like when you get a blitz right and your numbers up in blitz it's your 10's worst nightmare because you are literally trying to pull the rabbit out of the hat so I did feel for Finn I've been there you can't see any space you just see monsters everywhere and, and all I thought was fucking kick it when I played so it's hard for Finn he's still trying to pull the magic out offloading but like Jim said the one thing that won that game for South Africa was physicality in the second half Scotland were very good in that first half competitive in that area the defence was huge they were taking it to the South Africans at times a couple of offloads didn't quite go their way but it's just the relentlessness of the South Africans and you bring on the bomb squad and then the scrum just got absolutely annihilated in the second half Scotland scrum did I felt sorry for WP now at times he's about 46 and Xander Fagerson's wound him up and then gets hooked off after 46 minutes and <laughs> on you go, son. And, and then you get the head shoved up your ass. And he's a class operator, WP now, usually in scrums. It just shows how powerful, how big the South African team are. And it's about physicality. The game's won on physicality now. Jim, you touched on Manny Leboc. I mean, how good? That no-look kick. No look, Ridiculous. he was looking straight into Gilko's eyes, Grant Gilchrist. Yeah. He was looking into his soul when he kicked that kick. <laughs> it was scary. And he was like, you mother beeper. And he just literally was like, have that. Mate, I get doing crossfield kicks, right? And I, they used to come off my shin, off my knee, <laughs> off my ankle. I get doing a crossfield kick, right? And like pretending not to look. But you pretend not to look before you kick it and then you focus on the ball, right? That's what everyone does. Marnie Leboc has seen the space and then he's dropped it on his foot without even looking. That is the most ridiculous bit of skill I've seen in years and years and years and years. The way he's just looked, as Jim says, at Grant Gilchrist, through him, into his soul, seeing what he's had for dinner, seeing what he's had for breakfast the day before. And then the actual picture, it's a brilliant picture, a still. Like, watch the replays, of course, but the still of him looking and still kicking the other way was just ridiculous. And it was on a sixpence as well. Arenza uh, doesn't even have to break stride and he's jogging into the corner. Absolute quality. The best bit of skill I've seen in... God knows how long, since Carlos used to put it off his knee or flick one the other way. In fact, since I did one against Arlequins for Leicester, the old reverse no-look kick. But Marnie Leboc, 
class. If you could sort his goal kicking out, he'd be up there with the best tens in the world. And that could be South Africa's Achilles heel. Well, you mentioned the Achilles heel because that is the one thing, the question about They got asked in the press conference after and Sia came straight in to support him and said, look, we've got Cheslin Colby, we've got Faf de Klerk. He's our general. Like We follow money around like he is running the show. But you've mm. got to say, they're going to say that, of course they are. But it is the one question mark over them. And we've seen the World Cups, the fly halves, the influence that they've had. Mentioned it before, George Stransky, 95. The big one, Johnny Wilkinson in 2003. The big one, if you're English. Stephen Donald as well. Friend of the Beyond Expected series that we did as well. And Dan Carter, whenever he played. So South Africa go all the way. Well, we'll see if it proves to be an issue. But no, world-class by... Lebok and it was a, a joy to be there to watch the world champions you know South Africa are my second team I'll be honest with you that is because one I'm a glory supporter hold on yeah you hold know. on yeah you said you're English on my voice note you said we yeah no, I sound English I sound English but I played like a South African <laughs> <laughs> that game on Sunday night Wales Fiji at one point, I was thinking I was watching the greatest game that I've ever seen at the World Cup. But that finish was incredible. Best game. Best game this World Cup. I know it's only been one week, yeah. but best game hands down. Fair play to Wales, physically, how they dealt with Fiji. I thought Fiji looked exceptional. And if it was a dry ball, and it's completely irrelevant, it's got nothing to do with me talking about Wales before, they win that game comfortably. That's what I think. Stop being horrible to Wales, Jim. I'm a quarter Welsh. Stop being horrible. The pressure going into that game for Wales. Fiji are going to beat you. You're not getting out of the group stages. What idiots would even think that Wales wouldn't get out of the group stages? <laughs> like, absolute Jim morons. Hamilton's. Wales are the best team when people don't expect them. And there's all the noise. They're the underdogs. They're coached by Warren Gatlin. They've got history in the tournament. And one thing that Welsh players can do... They can bang. Always been able to. You look at the physicality that they rocked up with. Jack Morgan mentioned him before. Like, absolutely smoking boys. Shane Williams calls him Tommy Raffle on commentary, but we know him as Tommy Raffel. Banging boys as well. And you're putting your body in the way and the power. Tua Sova comes on. Goodness me. He My is God. like twice the size. Good, he's twice the size you were in your heaviest. I was going to say your prime. But in your heaviest, he's twice the size. I reckon he's 130 clicks of pure concrete, but fast concrete. Like, he's a concrete block. <laughs> that, that The clip of him when it was on his calves and everyone's like, they're big quads. Oh, no, they're his calves. Like, absolute hell. And I felt sorry for Tompkins towards the end. Tompkins had a hell of a game. He was fucked. But he'd emptied the tank. He was yeah, absolutely <laughs> Dying, and then it's like, mate, can you go and tackle to us over in Randrandra a bit more, please? Like he was, he was outstanding, Tompkins. But at the end, he was, it was, he was getting ragdolled around a bit. And I actually tweeted, I thought it was game done, sixty odd minutes in, Wales are winning thirty two fourteen, and I'm like, it's night nights, Fiji, they're great to watch, but you know, Wales have done well here. They've defended well, took their chances, bigger led them around the field, had a bit of leniency from the ref at times, and we might talk about that as well. But I thought it was game done and dusted. But what a finish. Edge of your seat stuff. The best game of the weekend to finish the weekend as well. And that really gives you that warmth in the belly for this is a quality World Cup, seeing games like that. And then Fiji have got to go again this weekend against Australia to stay in the tournament effectively. But what a game. Jack Morgan, 
Open side flanker, crossfield shin, but perfect. He can kick though. He kept putting it to boot all the time. Yeah, so it was class. And Wales, I thought at 32-14, it was night-night no biscuit for the Fijians or night-night no carver. But as Gats said, they made some errors. Bigger came off. You know, their discipline ended up going. And that's probably off the back of tackling 15 monsters for 60-odd minutes. And they, they were heroic at times, Wales in defence. But let's talk about Fiji, how good... Nitha Levu with that offload to Randrandra in the first half that carves them up, which they score from. Just their physical presence, their ability to beat people. They are banging over the gain line time after time. Like the, the forwards are quicker than the backs. The backs are quicker than anyone else. The power on every single one of them, it was just ridiculous. And then you bring Bottier on and Tuasova. I mean, thank God for Wales that Tuasova didn't start the game. He is just a freak show, isn't he? In the nicest possible way. Arguably should have done. I know that Simon Rowell-Louis, after the match on the press conference, was talking about how he's been out for so long. It will definitely start the next game. But what yeah. the smokes is that? And then you get into the depths of the game. And obviously, I mentioned Bigger. His 50-22 was pretty crucial, which led to a yellow card for Fiji. Matt Carley apparently is walking around France still trying to warn the Welsh that, that he's going to give a yellow card at some point and it might be three years time <laughs> but I, fa- I, gen- I generally feel sorry for the Fijians I've got to talk about it because there was about seven penalties in the 22 so they should have had someone in the bin massive turning point and yeah Wales did deserve to get that line out and it is a yellow card to Fiji that Moore was going forward at a rate of knots after Bigger's 50-22 um, the right call was a yellow card and yeah, potentially even a penalty try, but maybe it was a little bit too far out with the drive. But I've got no doubt Wales should have had someone in the bin first, which changes the shape of that game a little bit. And off the back of it, the Fijians look hard done by, very hard done by. And I think Matt Carley will watch the game back and go, he's honest enough. He had a brilliant performance as a referee in the New Zealand-South Africa game at Twickenham. He'll look at it and go, I should have been someone. I did think when the final whistle went that it was the fair result. Maybe on hindsight, I am wrong, but it is undeniable that Fiji are the best team to watch. They are the best team to watch. Andy Rose shaking his head. He felt that Fiji were hard done by. But the thing is, if you constantly do that, I think it's because it is Fiji and because there's a perception that they're a tier tier two nation and they don't get the rub of the green. We could have this conversation about teams not winning games because they didn't get the rub of the green for for different penalties, yellow cards, forward passes, every single game. It's heightened because how much people want Fiji to do well and win, especially at this World Cup. And there are a lot of people's second team. So that's why it's heightened with Fiji. We're talking about that moment. Yeah, okay, well, you know, Goody mentioned that Jesse Creel should have been sent off. Well, that means Scotland potentially going to win the game. So they're talking points, oh, let it go, it's Jim. almost let, let, it, let it go, mate. You've got to let it what go. What is going on? I'm going to have a word. I'm going in the office. Alan, what's going on? Okay, Goody, here's a question for you. Yes. You're playing with Jim Hamilton. He's in the midfield. Am I in my prime or not? Yeah, you're in your prime, but you're playing in the midfield today. It's just gone 40 minutes. It's half time. Jim's got the ball. He's caught it and he's running it. Miracles. You're the, you're the 10. What are you saying? Kick it out. Kick it out. <laughs> He's laughing to start yeah, with. I'm, la- I'm laughing at a giraffe running from his own 22. It's probably, is it against India? Because it's a different kettle of fish. If it's against <laughs> India, he's going the length. He's going. He's going the length. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about George North and what happened under the sticks or near enough under the sticks just before half time. I'm with Dan Bigger. Do you boys, if they need telling, they need telling. Yeah, but not like that. He's going ballistic. Yeah, he did go a little bit over the top because he carried on. 
but <laughs> he, he, was he was right. He was right. He was right. I'm sorry. I love Dan Bigger. He's their unbelievable leader. He gets the game better than anyone else in that Welsh jersey. And a 10's job is to understand what the time is, what your team needs, what the scoreline is, what the pressures your forward pack's been under, the feel of the game. And I think sometimes, and I remember doing it as a player, you expect everyone else to have the the same knowledge or thought process or understanding as you. And it spills out. I, you know, Every 10, look at Sexton, look at Farrell, right? Look at Bigger, look at Finn sometimes. Finn does it with a smile on his face and says, hey, don't worry, we'll get a five guys later here. <laughs> but every 10 has that in them. And Bigger does take it sometimes one step too far. But you can't deny he was right. What are you trying to do? It's half time. You're trying to run it from under your own sticks against Fiji. <laughs> get the ball out. But with that, that what you saw there is how Faz used to speak to me at training every training session. <laughs> like that snapshot there. I'm with Faz. I agree with Faz. <laughs> there was some historic trauma coming back. So I'm watching that and I started to feel a, like anxiety come over me. I was like, that reminded of how I got spoken to. That reminded me of how I got spoken to every single day with even me just put my boots on I'd get shouted at so <laughs> I know George North don't go into your shell like I did I could have got on to Captain Saracens in a final if I only stood up for myself that day you mentioned Johnny Sexton good to see him back yes had him in my fantasy team very happy very happy it's like he's never been away he's been away for six months pretty much obviously had his ban as well on top of his injury yes it's okay it's only against Romania and I, I mean that respectfully, but it was a performance and it's really interesting. It'll be really, really interesting how Faz manages the squad selection over the next few weeks because ultimately the run of games they've got, Tonga next, then South Africa, then Scotland, they're all massive games for obvious reasons, but the back end of the group are the two big ones. If you are then going to get to a quarterfinal, you're basically asking Johnny Sexton to go four group games starting a quarter-final, then hopefully a semi-final, then hopefully for them a final. For a 39-year-old bloke or however old Johnny Sexton is now, it's great to see him back, but he's going to need some management. But he's the ultimate competitor. And when Peter Omani comes over and tells off a Romanian for nearly diving on his hand when he scored a try, you know that the boys are a bit wary about Johnny and how important he is to that squad. But he was brilliant. Two tries, two talking points from the game. Obviously him being back fit and playing so well, and then poor Mac Hansen. What were you thinking, Mac, taking all your clothes off, son? Yeah, I don't think he had full frontal visual of himself, which you wouldn't <laughs> do because you can't see yourself in that light. I was texting him after the game, and we've had a funny interaction, myself, him and Goody, over the last few days. So I just texted him the picture that's been doing the rounds where basically he's got no top on, he's giving his shorts away, and he looks like he a looks three-year-old like a four-year-old boy. boy. Yeah, you've gone four. You've gone four. He'll be happy with that. I've just gone WTF dehydration question mark. And he just said, it's normally massive. It's really hot out there. I said, I knew it would be. (laughs) And that was in the evening. The next day, he's gone, OMG, I'm just looking at this today. And it truly isn't my best angle. And I've just gone back and said, no shit. I said, if it makes you feel better, I said, ask Goody. He's got a picture of me where there was severe dehydration whilst it being minus 50 i was asleep in a bed in russia i was very nervous and then he texted goody asking for the picture but i think that did you send it him or not well the message that he sent me was yesterday lunchtime one o'clock he said goody do you have the photo of jim's cock looking tiny i need to pick me up after after my tiny piece is all over the internet 
<laughs> so I went back to him. I said, haha, not your best look, pal. Just blame it on the dehydration. And then I sent him the picture, Jim. Sorry, I sent him the picture. <laughs> oh, no. He's in my fantasy team. I don't mind. He needs to be concentrating on all these games, apart from the Scotland game. So I need him in the right mindset. But the poor lad. And his response when I sent it, Jim, he said, ah, ha, ha. That's just the pickup I needed. It's tiny. <laughs> <laughs> and he was what right. a boy oh, what a boy yeah, he's, a, he's a good lad yeah see Andy Farrell's laughing his head off you got a visual of his Andy Farrell head tattoo just by his cycling shorts what a boy clearly went out before the game against Samoa where he was playing touch and then he got dropped but now he's back well it looked like the New Zealand players went out before the game against France what do you guys make of that? Oh, listen to the tone. Oh, yeah. look at him. Why do you sound so depressed, Andy Rowe? <laughs> it was just sad. One, why are you surprised? Two, it's your first ever loss in a World Cup pool game. Matt, Ian Foster's got all the records. I was surprised, Andy Rowe. I had New Zealand by four. Goody, I think you had them by three, but then changed your mind, then went back. Yeah, France by three I had. It wasn't by three, it was by 14, which is an absolute hosing. Mm. And there was the issue around the conversion at the end, which we won't go on. One flag goes up, one flag goes down. But I thought it was all set for New Zealand. I thought, this is France. This is what France do. Not only does Macron come on and get booed to hell in the ceremony. So do you know what he said to Bill? No. He said, just to let you know, they're booing at me, not you, Bill. And I was thinking, no shit, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) No shit. But yeah, I mean... It starts off, well, actually, it's rewind. It starts off with the opening ceremony. What the fuck was that about? Pass the bread around. Here's some bread. What are we doing? No one knows. I enjoyed but... that. I was in the middle of it. Really? I was in the oh, middle. Yeah. Like, I, I've just been converted by love and energy. And <laughs> oh, oh, oh. To, to most people watching it on TV, I felt sorry for Miles Harrison trying to commentate on it. He's like, and there's some bread. They're going to pass over the bread there. Yes. And then the anthems, they come out. You can see there's there's obviously going to be nerves and tension. It's been a massive build-up for the French team. There's expectation. It's their home World Cup. You know, the pressure is on. And they look nervous coming down the tunnel. Normally, you get a load of passion coming out the anthem. They butchered the anthem, and you could just see the French boys going, what the hell's going on here? The hacker comes. New Zealand score after about three minutes or whatever it was. And I'm thinking, New Zealand are on. But then eventually... Sean Edwards gets his best Wigan French out at half-time and they turn the screw in the second half. Fucking smash him, Mordo, fill the plackage! <laughs> second half was a, a completely different team. New Zealand looked dangerous. They scored off two forward passes. Don't worry about the replays again, though. I'm joking. I'm joking. But, yeah, New Zealand, where are you? They look average, don't they? Without going too hard, Nandy Rowe, you're a Kiwi fan, an all-black fan. They did look bang average at times. They looked lost. They're kicking it a lot. There didn't seem to be any spite, any... Ardi Saver's taking it to the line and growling every time he gets the ball in the tackle. But apart from that, they were blunt as anything, weren't they? They were. Yeah, they lost Sam Kane, didn't they, before the game? Not that that would have made a huge difference. I know there's talk of him not being the best seven anyway. I thought Dalton Papalihi was very good in defence especially, but just knocking the ball. I mean, the ball was slippy. It looked... I'm going to say it looked. It looked boiling hot out there. It was absolutely roasting. And they looked hanging. Like I thought the All Blacks didn't look as fit as they have done. And I say that, I feel harsh, because we've had Nick Gill on. He came over, he weren't too happy, but I told him that he saved the life. So that picked him up a little bit after the game. Thank you, Gilly. So he was asking for you. Yeah, they, they, look, they looked hanging. But I mean, 
you think about how far they've had to come, the travel, the fact that they played South Africa a couple of weeks before. Like it's been a tough few weeks for them, but it's the All Blacks, right? And they look a shell of their former selves. And it's hard saying that because I I love the All Blacks. I love the brand. I love Razor. Hey, Razor is out. He's been sending me pictures. Oh. He's with all the Scotland fans. Yeah, he's been sending me a couple of pictures and stuff like that. So I've been chatting to him loosely. The All Blacks will be all right, won't they? They've got a pretty generous run to get through the rest of the pool. And then they're going to come up against... South Africa, Ireland or Scotland. Yeah, in the quarterfinal, who have got probably the hardest ever pull to get through as far as physically and the impact that it's going to have on their players, whereas New Zealand can kind of eyeball that game, that quarterfinal from a long distance out, where those guys can't. You better worry about Italy, Shag. That's all you need to know. But you're right, they're going to be in a quarterfinal. They're going to be primed. And I think they'll want to play Ireland. I don't think they'll fancy playing the Springboks in a quarterfinal. And that sounds crazy because Ireland have beaten them in New Zealand. But I just think an Ireland are going to go back-to-back massive games against the Springboks and then the Scotland game to decide the group effectively. So, yeah, you're going to make a quarterfinal because the way the group is, if you can beat Italy. But I still didn't see enough, and especially after the hiding they had against the Springboks the week before, to think, I think you're out in the quarterfinals, lads. Well, we can talk now to Springboks legend and World Cup winner. Victor Matfield, how are you, mate? How are you guys doing? Are you well? Very good, but I'm very excited. And that isn't because of Scotland's performance at the weekend. But I'm seeing a Scotland jersey in the back that looks like it was worn by a Scotland hero. Is that my jersey there, Victor, over your shoulder? Yeah, it's the only Scottish guy that gave me a little bit of uh, headaches in the lineup. So, Jim, I had to put it up. Huh? Did you really say that? Victor, Did- you tell lies, man. You tell lies. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you Victor might say I nearly stole a ball off him once I nearly did I was close I was mate it's great to have you Victor how, how are things there's rumours that you have been dipping in and out of the Portuguese national team is that right or not is this just rumours no I helped him for a week went down to altitude camp with the boys uh, it was actually good fun huh? then we played against Australia and I must say, I think we stole four lineouts of these and they only stole one of us. You've done your job and walked away, right? Yes, and walked away before the big boys come back. You say that, Victor, that carried on, mate, in the Scotland-South Africa game at the weekend because we couldn't win a lineout. You lads are unbelievable. So I'm going to get straight into that. Was there any part of you that was worried going into the Scotland game? Um, to be honest, I thought they would give us a go. I thought it would have been a higher scoring game, but uh, I just felt like... I think the back, the back couldn't live up to ours, especially in that second half. I know we have a go. Uh, they really stood up in that first half. But once that bomb squad came on, and um, I mean, when South Africa put up the bomb squad, it's almost as if those guys are better. And the other guys, when they do the substitution, substitutions, it's substitutions. Uh, they're not in the same class as the first guys. And I, I always thought that's where we'll probably pull it through. But I must say, I thought it would be a higher scoring game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with there was a few missed kicks and stuff. It always looked comfortable in that second half for South Africa. What are the feelings back home for the squad at the minute? Because ultimately, it was a win. Is it, we've got a lot to build on. We're worried about the goal kicking. You know, we can win whichever way we want to win. What's the sort of feeling back from the Middle Earth of South Africa? Well, firstly, I think if you said before the game, we will win by 15 points, everyone would have taken that. I think everyone thought it might be closer. 
I thought in that first half, especially those first few kicks in the 15, close to the touchline, run about the 22, I thought we would go for the touch there, go for the driving mall against the All Blacks. That's what really put them under pressure. We didn't go for those kicks. We kept the pressure on them with the driving mall, got those yellow cards, got penalties. Although we didn't get tries, we got the penalties and we got the ref to start uh, giving warnings out. So... I thought we could have gone for the touch there rather than go for the poles. But, um, yeah, I mean, that scoreline is still good. Against the Scottish side, it's really playing well. Number five in the world, uh, I think we'll take it. Yeah, definitely. I'm happy you're saying that. But it's no consolation. No consolation whatsoever. <laughs> but one thing that we've been chatting about here for the last few weeks is the evolution of how South Africa are playing with the offloading. We've seen, we saw a few of them yesterday as well. Yesterday in that first half it seemed like you were almost trying things out. And this is all respect to my team, Scotland. You were kicking early. You were going high early. Do you think that that was a tactic against Scotland? Or do you think that that is because you are trying different things for later in the tournament? Because in the second half, you reverted back to type. That's what you went. You went old school and then dominated us as we saw. No, I think uh, this is a team that's definitely evolving. I think if you go back, any team when Rossi and Jock took over, we were really in shambles back in South Africa. So they went right back to the DNA of South African rugby, set piece, great kicking game defense, only playing off turnovers. I think with Marnie Lebok at 10, Damien Willems, Sevalila Rue at 15, we're definitely playing a bit more. Uh, we're looking for opportunities with ball in hand as well. But I think the, the game line set piece, that's what's going to win us the World Cup. It's nice that we can play a different style if needed. But um, I think we, when we're under pressure, when we go to the real big games, the pressure games, we'll go back to that set piece, defense, uh, and a good kicking game. There's a lot of talk at the moment about the 7-1 bench. Have you got any strong opinion on it? Loves it. Look, he's smiling. <laughs> Now, that's something I think Rusty and Charles just threw out there for a warm-up game. I, I don't see us do that in a big pressure game. I think the risk is just too big. And at this stage, if you look at our uh, bench, I think if Eben is ready, you don't really want two guys there. Uh, you'll probably only make the one second rower. And um, I think 6-2 is good enough. I don't think we'll go into big games or pressure games with a 7-1 uh, split. No, I agree with you. I've got to ask you about the t one of the talking points from the game, Jesse Creel's tackle that wasn't seen or looked at. From a South African perspective, having seen the red card to Tom Curry the night before for England, what were your thoughts on that? And do you think it could have been a red card? Well, firstly, I think it's just crazy that red card of uh, Curry in that England game. I'm completely against all these red and yellow cards, especially if there's no intent. I mean, Curry was there at one level, they actually dropped into him and it's a red card. I thought that was very stupid. In the game when the Creel incident happened, I said, oh, there's trouble. And they never went back again. It's crazy they didn't go back and just have a look at it, uh, at least. So um, when it was playing out, I said immediately, oh, there's trouble. Yeah, luckily, they didn't go back. I didn't see if there's any sightings at, at this stage as well. Victor, it's really interesting having you chat about it. And this is twofold, right? Having an old bull like yourself, but a really high profile bull in that talking about this, because me and Goody, we chat about it every week. It's topical on social media, talking about it on TV. You've just kind of given a line. Is that your general feeling that it is ridiculous or that it should be like reckless challenges and not foul play and rugby collisions? But I'll, I'll just let you give you the floor to chat about it. So, I mean, physicality is part of this game. That's why we play this game. I went to France as well, played second division where it was dirty. I mean, I'm... 
I mean, there was a 15 on 15 fight, actually 15 on 13, where George Gregan and myself were the only two guys standing at the back, not fighting <laughs> on the 50. That's with why I play rugby. But I mean, you want to get stuck into guys. And when you sign up for rugby, you say, listen, I can get a concussion. I can get a cut. If I get on my mountain bike and go into the mountains, I can fall off. But that's my decision I make. So again, I'm all for yellow, red cards if there's intent. If someone wants to hurt someone, if someone does something stupid, let's take it. And it's not against all blacks. I think the Barrett incident, where he dived into Malcolm Marks on the side of the rocks, that can be a red card. But someone like Curry waiting for something and accidentally the guy comes into him and it's a head flash, I think that's stupid. If it's an accident, I don't see why it should be a red card. Mm. I know it's only been week one. Are you looking at anyone that worries the South Africa team? Probably shouldn't say that after the weekend. I only see four teams winning this. And I think France and South Africa must be the favourites. And then just behind them, it's Ireland and the All Blacks. England, England. Oh, I don't oh, see no. England and I don't see Australia. They <laughs> might beat someone on the day, get lucky. But beating two of those four teams two weeks in a row, just don't see it. What are your thoughts on Andre Pollard not being around with all his experience after what he did in 2019? And can you see him making his way into the squad through an injury or through another channel? Yeah, I mean, we all were very surprised uh, when that happened in the team announcement. I mean, Andre is a leader in that team as well. Uh, I spent a week with him. And most of the time, he's the guy talking about what they want to do, how they want to do it. So I really believe he will be there when we get to the quarterfinals. The only problem is he's not playing. He hasn't played for almost five, six months. I mean, Marnie is not playing bad. Yes, his goal kicking isn't where it should be. But I mean, Faf is really kicking well. Uh, he kicked those pressure kicks, so maybe they'll take the kicking duties away from Marnie. And the rest of it is playing well. But um, I would really like to see Andre there. You mentioned earlier the standard on your bench, like they're coming on and they're better than the guys sometimes that are already on there. And you could probably do that with your back line as well. The depth in South African rugby at the moment is crazy. How has that happened? Because given, I don't want to get political, but the political situation in South Africa isn't ideal and you guys are still managing to somehow function in a way that's ahead of the rest of the world on the sports field. Yeah, I think if you look at our political situation, maybe four or five years ago, that was a problem. Uh, we're doing so much development in South Africa and our players of colour are really coming through and they definitely not there. <laughs> All of them are very good players and they're there on merit. In the beginning, when Rassi started picking guys from outside of South Africa, uh, I was one of the guys that weren't that happy with that. I was very happy with a guy that has played 50 test matches or 30 test matches going overseas then coming back. But for youngsters getting picked like a visa from Leicester and he hasn't really played a lot of games or hasn't played a test in South Africa, I was worried about that. And for our provincial teams or our club teams in the URC, that's definitely weakening our teams. But I mean, that has created depth. I mean, we've got about 40 guys, top guys playing out of South Africa. And then we've got these guys coming through uh, in the URC. I mean, if you look at the guy like Kane and Mooney, and some of these guys that, that really got opportunities because these top guys are playing overseas, it really helped with our, our day. And then as well, Rossi and Jock, those two guys, they work 24-7 on rugby. So they know exactly what each player is doing. If he's playing in Japan, France, Ireland, they get his stats. They know everything. They talk to them. 
weekly. So um, I think that helped us a lot uh, with our depth. You mentioned Razi there. Absolute legend. We love him. What's he doing after the World Cup? Because if he wins it back to back, I'm here in Ireland. Is he staying in South Africa? I want him with England. Like, what's he doing? He's a legend. He's a hero. And then on top of that, Victor, if that is the case, who would you have in as coach? Oh, it's difficult. So it sounds like Rossi is going. He might stay for a few months just to get things in place. But um, knowing Rossi, knowing Jock, those two do everything together. So I think the chance of him going to Ireland must be close to 90 to 95%. Um, the two of them always work together. Yeah, in South Africa at the moment, I would have said if Rossi stayed as director of rugby, one of the uh, current assistant coaches could have taken over the head coaching role. If he doesn't stay, it should be someone from outside. Uh, Johan Ackerman that's been coaching in Japan uh, must have a good chance. Uh, and I'm a big fan. Uh, I know he's not the favorite at um, Munster, but he's really doing very well at Bath at the moment. Johan van Hron. He's been with a coach uh, box for almost eight years, six to eight years as assistant coach. So uh, he knows the structures. And um, yeah, I see him as a guy that can definitely take over as well. That's class. One last question from me. Do you see your old partner in crime, Bacchus? Like do you, when you see him, do you, do you bind up and stuff like that or not? Do you see him much? <laughs> oh, he makes me look good these days. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> he got into the bike, so I think he's losing some weight. I think he's down to about 150 kgs now, not 170 oh, anymore. Yes. Looking good. Um, the big man is looking good. He's happy. He's doing really well. So, yeah, I see him now and then at functions. Before we let you go, obviously you're with the team in 2007 that won the World Cup. You must have a favourite memory from the Rugby World Cup that you can you can give us. You know, you always got the memories on the field. So the England game was pretty special. But I think after that England game, that was a Friday game. And that Saturday we went to the Champs-Élysées and we sat at George Sang, I think, uh, from the afternoon till from 2 till about 8, I think 5,000 euro bill later. Uh, with the families, our wives came over with, but I think it was still our girlfriends back then almost for most of the guys. And uh, we just had a fantastic time. I love that. Deny, deny. 5,000 euros is nothing. It's a lot of rand, but it's nothing to you, mate. <laughs> Victor, thank you very much for coming on the show, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Cheers, guys. We'll probably see you over there. Looking forward to it. Yeah, awesome. Hopefully. Class Victor. Thank you, mate. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yes, boys. Top, Top bloke. Yeah, actually, legend. legend. Bit of a fanboy. I'm a bit of a fanboy with him. A little bit. Yeah, what a legend, though. Lovely bloke. We love South Africans, don't we? Salt the earth people, but speak a strong game, believe in themselves. And in, he shut down Andy Rowe's politics comment as well, so I loved him. He also shut down your red card. No, he, he said it was a red. He said it was a red, but there we go. No, he said, no. Jesse Creels, he said, should have been a red, he thought. There we go. Well, let's have a look at the games coming up this weekend then. Wales-Portugal seems like a foregone conclusion. So let's go straight to Australia-Fiji. That could be quite interesting, the permutations that has for the Paul Goody. Yeah, it's tasty, obviously, off the back of how Fiji played at the weekend and finished the game. You know, it's a, again, is it a banana skin? I think banana skin for Australia is a bit disrespectful because this Fiji outfit are proper. The fact they got two losing bonus points... Everyone in Wales will now be desperately hoping that Australia beat Fiji because that then gives them a clearer pathway through to the quarterfinals. But I'm desperate for Fiji to beat Australia for obvious reasons, Eddie Jones, but also England don't like Australia. And it keeps that group juicy as you like. So start Tuasova, start Lavani Bottia, start Bill Matter, start all the other monsters 
and let's hope that Fiji can do a job. But to be fair to Australia, they did look pretty good in that first game for them too. So they're only going to get better each week. Jim, how does Ireland approach Tonga? So Tonga have been sitting there waiting. They're going in fresh. They'll be ready to bang. I don't think you play Johnny Sexton. He might play, they might play him back-to-back. It's going to be a physical game. And I feel bad on Tonga. I don't think they're as good as people are making out. They got beat by Samoa in the lead-up. Uh, there's no doubt they're physical. They've got a great coach in Tutakefu as well, who we're big fans of on the pod here. We've got a few older All Blacks in their team. Some old bulls who are quality players, no doubt about that. Malachi Fekatoa, Charles Piertown. I don't think they worry Ireland. So I think Ireland, a few changes. They'll know how to manage the team in terms of minutes played. They'll have a plan, won't they? So I think they beat Tonga comfortably. I think Ross Byrne potentially plays 10, but that is me just guessing. I don't know what they'll do, but a comfortable win for Ireland. Goody, can England afford to take Japan lightly? Certainly not, Andy Rowe. And we're just focusing on the game against Japan because if we win that, we then look forward to our next game against Chile. But in reality... Japan did some really good stuff against Chile at the weekend and I think everyone was expecting them to hose them but you watch them they've got some monster ball carriers and they have that X factor of surprises that have done at World Cups before yes they're not in the best position they've been in going into previous World Cups no one thought they could beat South Africa no one thought they'd go back to back over Scotland and Ireland at the last World Cup not many people are thinking they can now beat England and not many people we're probably thinking they could beat England before we beat Argentina and England weren't very good then either. So in reality, England have had a massive confidence boost. They certainly won't be taking them lightly. The Japanese will try and keep the pace of the game up. England won't deviate too much from how we ended up playing against Argentina, winning that physical battle, making it a set-piece battle. And again, by winning games, you build momentum. You don't need stylistically to score tons of tries. Yes, that will come hopefully against Chile which will give us confidence and, and maybe Samoa going into a quarterfinal to put that layer of our game on. But this game at the weekend is all about just getting a W because you get the W, you're in the quarterfinals. Are we going to see our first three-digit win? South Africa, Romania, New Zealand, Namibia, France, Uruguay. Who's cracking the ton? Potentially all three. Tough one, isn't it? Because I'm not sure it's a good look for the game. And I've never been hosed by 100 points. I took a 70 once, but I was on the bench and I didn't really get on, so it didn't really matter. But... I don't know. I think New Zealand and Namibia can get very ugly. Yeah, regardless of New Zealand, they just can score tries, can't they? Like That's the one thing yeah. about New Zealand. They're just, at that level, no disrespect to Namibia. I love you, Jacques Berger, big shout out. But yeah, that that's the one, I think. Serious amounts of tries in them, the All Blacks. So my fantasy team is going to have at least three All Blacks in them. Right, well, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, loads of good, obviously, this week. We're going to start off, though, Jim, with the mighty Cov. Cov Rugby Club, James. What have I missed? Because they beat your old boys. They beat your old boy Saracens. I didn't see it. <laughs> Premiership Rugby Cup, pal. <laughs> but fair play, Cov beat Saracens in front of their record crowd at the Butts Park Arena. 4,109 people went to watch Coventry beat Saracens. Actually, more than Saracens get at their home games, to be fair. But mighty shout out to Cov. What else was good? Similarly, in the Premiership Cup, a big shout out to Ealing Trail Blazers, Trail Finders. Of course, it's the Trail Finders. They beat Saints at the weekend too so good start for the championship teams Chile get a mention in the good this week for their World Cup debut it's great to see they competed well there was passion in their 
anthem as well and some decent line breaks. They scored the opening try. It's great to see Chile in the World Cup and performing pretty well. France get a mention the good. Their second half domination of the All Blacks. Andy Rowe, you suck. Mm. France were good. We'll be right. Arrogance. Uh, Damien Pinot, the boy as well. So massive shout out to the French in that second half. Sean Edwards' half-time team talk was the difference. Wales versus Fiji. That game gets a shout out in the good. Edge of your seat stuff. It was unbelievable watching at times in the second half, especially towards the end. Brilliant spectacle down in Bordeaux. And also Josh Adams' tackle on Ravatalmanda. What an absolute hit that was. Hit him so hard, his pants fell down. Luckily for Ravu Talmando, he didn't have skids because they'd have shown up as well. I think if Josh Adams hit me like that, I would have shit myself. That's what I think, (laughs) genuinely. It would have been like a double whammy. (laughs) Exactly. That's a big shout out to Josh Adams as well. Marnie Leboc gets a shout out in the good this week for his no-look crossfield kick. Unbelievable bit of skill. For Kurtley Aronson's try, outstanding player, Marnie LeBock, so well done to him. Johnny Sexton gets a shout in the good, of course he does. I'm big mates with Johnny. Six months out, but he looked back to his best, scoring two tries. And he overtook Ron Nogara's World Cup point scoring record as well. And Ireland's biggest ever win at the World Cup, so big shout out to the Irish boys. But the good this week goes to the great... George Ford and England rugby. Uh, well, I never. Whoa. Just an honest man, boys. Just an honest man, delighted, proud Englishman. We are in there like swimwear, like budgie smugglers that we're going to have on the boat cruise, Jim. George Ford, 27 points, equaling Johnny's record of three drop goals. A perfect performance by him under the circumstances. England start the World Cup with a bang. It wasn't the most fluid game, but a high-pressure game after the red card as well to win that comfortably and to see George Ford with those two drop goals from long range and the little third drop goals, a little gimme, little chip shot over. Outstanding stuff. Managed the game brilliantly. So George Ford in England, you boys get the good this week. The bad, few bits of bad. Andy Rowe, starting off with the All Blacks. Okay. Of course we are. First ever defeat in the World Cup. 13 turnovers, 12 penalties, 11 handling errors. Really bad stats, Andy Rowe. So the All Blacks get a mention in the bad for that. What else gets mentioned in the bad? Scotland, Jim. They get mentioned in the bad this week. Well, not really Scotland, just you. Because you said that it was their time to win a World Cup. It was their time. They were going to beat South Africa. You put too much pressure on them, Jim. I did. I feel bad. I'm sorry. So, yeah, it's all your fault, basically, Jim. It would have been all your fault had they have won, but it's all your fault because they lost. So they tried hard. Unfortunately, they didn't score a try for the first time in three years, which isn't a stat that they were like. But Scotland don't go in the bad. Jim Hamilton goes in the bad for talking them up and basically giving South Africa and the team talk. Argentina get a mention of the bad. That's the worst they'll ever play, as we saw. So they get a mention. What else gets a mention? The opening ceremony. What the hell was that? Jim loved it. Were you in it, Jim? Genuinely, Goody, I could post a video. I was in the middle of it, as in, <laughs> I don't know how. I was on my phone. I was getting all excited and looking at notes. And next thing, they're all around me. There's jets flying over, and I'm just like... Hands in the air. So, mate, again, I just got caught up in the moment. There you go. Well, that gets mentioned in the bad as well. Didn't understand what it was about, but it was just so French. But the bad this week goes to, unfortunately, I feel bad saying it because they're kids singing it, but the anthems, some of the anthems, absolutely shocking at times. You're giving the beard to some kids. Not just because they're underprivileged kids. <laughs> underprivileged kids. I'm giving the bad to whoever <laughs> thought it was a good idea to sing the anthems that way when it's just not working. So, change the anthems. Get them on properly. Let's everyone have a good old sing-song of their own anthem. The players' faces all look confused. So the bad for me 
this week goes to whoever decided to do that to the anthems. It's just not on. Finally, the ugly. Obviously, we're going with Tom Curry's head-on-head collision, but mainly the ugly is the refereeing inconsistency this week with the TMO. Jesse Creel, no review. Martin Sigren, his stayed yellow for Chile. Just not happy with the inconsistency. So that's why people are quizzing everything, questioning everything. It's going on social media. The TMOs and the referees needs to align everything so we've got consistency. And then they're either all reds or they're all play on. And that's why that gets the ugly this week. Judy, you're getting kicked out of the refereeing WhatsApp group, mate. No, they've, all, they've already been messaging me about something else. And that will come next week, maybe. Well, massive thanks for all the beyond expected stories. Blown away by the hundreds of messages. This one came in from Rob Reynolds. We made the trip to Japan for the 2019 World Cup and were celebrating Wales' quarterfinal win against France. A Japanese man dressed in a suit and carrying a bottle of wine to take home to his wife saw us in Welsh shirts and asked for a picture with us, explaining he went to uni in Wales. Fast forward to later in the night and Hitoshi is belting out Elvis in a karaoke bar with a Welsh shirt over his suit. We had a brilliant night and stayed in touch. A couple of days later, Hitoshi messaged us to say he'd sorted out four tickets for the semi-final free of charge. We met up in Yokohama, went for dinner and drinks and then the game. The excitement got a bit much for him and he fell asleep during the first half, woke up and was reduced to tears when Wales lost. Amazingly, Hitoshi and his friend have just got back in touch to meet up with one of the boys at the Wales v Portugal match in Nice. Japanese rugby hospitality at its finest. What a guy. Fair play, Hitoshi and Rob. And Jim, you've got a shout out to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, I've got a big shout out to a fundraising team from Bridge North Rugby Club called Mall Together. I know them. Who cycled from their beloved Edgar Davis ground to Paris over 300 miles in three days through blistering heat. Nine riders raised money for the My Name's Doddy Foundation and the Matt Hampson Foundation. And some even flew back Saturday morning to play for Bridge North First 15. For this EDG2 Paris challenge, they have currently raised nearly £22,000. They're aiming to hit 25000 Any support and donations of any size would be greatly appreciated by the amazing charities, and you can find them on Facebook or Instagram under Mall Together. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Producer Rob, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube. Make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby Spot. Spotty Pod, 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 Pod. England have won, Scotland have lost, and New Zealand have lost. England are going to win this thing. Let's go. (laughs) 